Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. It's my birthday week, and I'm pretty excited. (laughs) Well, I think we're all pretty excited. Are you excited to talk about your movie today? I am very excited. This is a movie I hadn't seen in many, many years. So, yes. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into it and talk about it. Now, I do have to say up front, every time I see an evil ventriloquist dummy, I immediately think of a movie from 1978 called Magic. Have you ever heard of it? I don't think so. It was directed by Sir Richard Attenborough himself. Uh, Most younger listeners will remember him as the old dude that ran Jurassic Park. Uh, And it starred Anthony Hopkins, or more affectionately known as Mr. Hannibal Lecter, and Margaret, and Burgess Meredith, who was the penguin from the original Batman series in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A crazy cast, right? Uh, But believe it or not, it had the scariest fucking trailer outside of Jaws that I had ever seen as a kid. So I was eight years old when this movie came out, and this trailer played all the time. And it just showed this dummy's face as he's talking, but the face is super articulated, like the eyebrows can move and the lips can move. And it's crazy. And as an eight-year-old, I was terrified every time this fucking commercial came on TV. I hated it. I've never actually seen the movie. I actually heard it's not that great, but I can't imagine it would be any more terrifying than that trailer was. And the funny thing is, I'm not scared by dolls. Like, that's not a trope in a movie that's ever seemed scary to me. Mm -hmm. But in that trailer, it was. However, that being said, I know that creepy dolls are a huge scare trigger for a lot of people. So I think this is a tough one, I think, for some people to get through. Yeah, I think that whole creepy doll trope like you said is is one of those that not everybody gets you know it's a very specific niche and you have a lot of those that are like i just don't get it but then you have those that are genuine genuinely scared by it and so for them yeah these movies really hit at that that creepy core in their bodies and i'm while i can't say i'm completely like horrified of them like i could i could totally have them in my house i'm not like that scared of them or anything oh but they still get you yeah those are some of your favorites and i love watching you watch these movies and react to them that's my favorite part yeah yeah so i don't think i can fall into that whole like completely scared of them but definitely for whatever reason it checks a box that i didn't know i had every time And they're creepy every time. <laughs> they are creepy, and you are not the only one. I know a lot of people just can't do them. I, I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's because maybe they're like little people or what, but man, do they give people the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm included. I don't know what it is, but they are 
very creepy. <laughs> All right. Well, I am excited to talk about this one. But before we do, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater moves around a lot, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this week, since it is still Danny and I's birthday month, we are wrapping up our bloody birthday bash, where we have been celebrating by gifting each other one of our favorite horror movies that the other one has never seen. And this week was all about Miss Danny, and she has always wanted to show me James Wan's second directorial feature, Dead Silence. Yeah, I. this is one of those that, for whatever reason like sticks in the back of my mind and I always continually like reference like I'll see somebody and I'll be like oh, who where were they from and then it's like always this movie and it's one of those that I say something or do something I'm like oh that reminds me of dead silence and you were never able to kind of uh you know put pinpoint what I was talking about so the fact that we finally had the opportunity to sit down and you see this was very very exciting (laughs) (laughs) well i know a lot of our listeners are ready for us to talk about it as well it seems to kind of be a crowd favorite yeah which i'm very surprised about this is one of those that like i just don't remember having a lot of friends or you know anything around me that was as big of a fan of this movie as i was i mean i had friends of course that enjoyed the movie but i don't know it just it was one of those that i just never heard a lot about so i had recently posted this week about us you know doing this movie and i was just kind of inquiring if people were excited and we had a lot of feedback of people being like oh i just watched this movie or oh i can't believe i haven't seen that movie in so long and i'm so excited so i i'm really surprised and equally excited that people are are stoked about it as well Yeah, it's one of those early 2000 films that uh, it did not do well in theaters Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, We're going to talk about that in the wiki, but I I think it just kind of, because it didn't do well critically and disappeared from the theaters so quickly, a lot of people forgot about it, uh, but then maybe caught it on home video or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that's what I was hearing. The big consensus was a lot of people saw this as a kid. And it really just scared the crap out of them. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the great things is finding these movies that scared you as a kid and going back and watching them now and see if they still kind of have that same effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Exactly. So, of course, before we jump into everything, if you haven't seen this movie... Like, like we just said, it, it got lost in time, but it's there and it's out there. We were able to find it um, on uh, Apple TV and rent it through different platforms. We weren't able to find it free streaming anywhere, uh, but definitely if you guys want to check it out, there is the uh, theatrical version and unrated version available to rent, same price. So we watched the unrated version and definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't already. It's uh, I, 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 I don't think it's too terribly gory but there is some parts that i think are really really kick-ass so i don't know it you know if if creepy dolls aren't your thing and you can't watch it that's more than okay i i believe me (laughs) i get it i commented the whole movie all the time i was like nope oh nope it was my favorite i even put it in my notes (laughs) it was my favorite part whenever something happened you make nope no thank you yeah (laughs) so yeah if you can't watch it completely understandable we're gonna talk about every single creepy doll in detail here so now's your warning 
watch it or don't. Spoilers are happening. Spoilers are happening. (laughs) Well, before that, let's get to the wiki. So Dead Silence is a 2007 American supernatural horror film directed by James Wan and written by Lee Wannell. The film stars Ryan Quanton, Amber Valletta, Donnie Wahlberg, and Bob Gunton. Dead Silence was released in the United States on March 16, 2007, and immediately flopped, grossing just $22 million worldwide against its $20 million budget. In fact, Dead Silence performed so poorly at the box office, most theaters had stopped screening the film just 16 days following its release. Wow. That's why I chuckled when you said, you know, I don't remember this being in the theaters because I don't think anybody did. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't there long enough to be memorable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really don't think it was until it got on, you know, home video that it really kind of found its audience. Yeah. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a rating of just 21% based on 81 reviews with an average rating of 4 out of 10. The site's critical consensus reads, quote, more tasteful than recent slasher flicks, but Dead Silence is undone by boring characters, bland dialogue, and an unnecessary and obvious twist ending, end quote. The film was not the first nor the last time James Wan and Lee Whannell would team up together. The pair collabed and created the original Saw, which would go on to become the highest grossing horror franchise of all time worldwide. And they would come together and collab again for Insidious, which was made independently as the pair sought for more creative control after their negative experience working on Dead Silence. In his personal blog, Wanell elaborates on his and Juan's ordeal making Dead Silence. In a candid post entitled Dud Silence, The Hellish Experience of Making a Bad Horror Film, in it, Wanell explains that the film was conceived following the advice of his and Juan's agent at the time, and that a script doctor was eventually brought in by the production studio to make changes that neither one of them liked, nor had any clout with the studio at the time to persuade them from making them. Wanell went on to say, quote, After everything is said and done, I'm almost glad dead silence happened, because it gave me an extreme, coal-faced lesson in what not to do. It was like learning to swim by leaping off Niagara Falls. Never again will I enter the arranged marriage of selling a pitch. I have also become very gun-shy about working with studios. In the world of independent film, what you write ends up on screen. Plus, they don't have the money to bring in script doctors, so it works fine for me. Who knows, maybe one day I will work with a studio again." Which we know he does because he goes on to write and direct the 2020 smash hit reimagining of The Invisible Man for Universal Pictures. He also wrote and directed a film we really love called Upgrade. It's not horror per se, it's more of an action film, but it it is pretty dark. Yeah. If if you like fucking badass mind-bending fight scenes, uh, think The Matrix or Rumble in the Bronx, you know, that kind of crap that it just looks like should not be humanly possible for anyone (laughs) to move like that, then Upgrade should be right up your alley. We really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was was a surprise find and you want to know what else lee wanell wrote yes the movie cooties 
Remember that creepy credit movie I mentioned in last week's episode that stars Elijah Wood and Rain Wilson from The Office? Mm-hmm. Uh, it had Peter Kwong in it, who played Mr. Rain in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just proves our theory that everything in horror is connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> and a big shout out to listener Chris, who actually gave us a free copy of Cootie so we could watch it. Yeah, that is literally the sweetest thing ever. I was so excited, and I can't wait to incorporate that into an episode because it sounds so good. I I mean, Cootie's had me at Elijah Wood and Rain Wilson, but (laughs) knowing that Lee Winnell is behind it, yeah, I'm all in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, one other tiny bit of trivia before we wrap up the wiki. So Lakeshore Records released the soundtrack of Dead Silence in conjunction with the release of the film. The album contains 31 tracks, 30 of which are just Charlie Clauser's film score. But this is about that 31st track. It's actually the first track on the album, and it's titled We Sleep Forever, and it's performed by American band Aiden. However, the song is never actually featured in the film, like ever. It's not playing in the background of a scene. It's not over the credits. Hell, it's not even playing on a radio anywhere. It's just not in the movie. Now, that might not be too unusual. However, there are three songs listed in the end credits as being used in the movie, but yet they aren't on the soundtrack. So why the hell would you not only neglect to include three songs they did use in the film, but then add an additional song that never appears in the film at all? Mystery. It was just a weird kind of thing that was mentioned on the wiki. I don't know how common that is, that songs get thrown onto soundtracks that aren't actually in the film. It just seemed bizarre that they would include this random song and yet completely ignore three songs that are in the film. Yeah. It just seems like a lot of things went wonky with this film, and it had nothing to do with the people who actually were trying to make the film. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It seemed like uh, corporate stepped in and and did a lot of damage here. And that's a point they were like, okay, uh, here, it is what it is. (laughs) Here's our kind of (laughs) story. We can do no more. Well, why don't you give the people a synopsis? All right, so the synopsis of Dead Silence reads, After his wife meets a grisly end, Jamie Ashen returns to their creepy hometown of Raven's Fair to unravel the mystery of her murder. Once there, he discovers the legend of Mary Shaw, a murdered ventriloquist whose eerie presence still looms over the town. As he desperately digs for answers, Jamie encounters the curse that took his wife's life and threatens his own. Bum, bum, bum! Bum, bum, bum! Terrifying. Spooky. Ventriloquism. Murder. Mary (laughs) Shaw. Bad acting. What more can we ask for? What more can we ask for? Uh, Yeah, this this movie has... Has it all. Has a lot going on. It also has a whole lot of plot holes, uh, some twists and turns that um, don't really make sense. But you know what? Again, just like last week... Who the fuck cares? We're here for a fucking good time. We just want, just show me crazy shit and uh, try and scare the hell out of me. As long as I had a good time on the other side, I can look past a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't mean I'm not going to make fun of you. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's gonna happen uh but we're we're still gonna get there are you ready to talk about this movie it is crazy yes i'm ready to jump into it but it's also a crazy good time <laughs> All right, well, here we go. Our movie starts using the 1930s version of the Universal Pictures logo. I suppose that's because we immediately transition to what appears to be an old film that tells us in the 6th century, it was believed the spirits of the dead would speak through the stomach region of the living. Checks out. (laughs) That's where I speak from. (laughs) I've been on several ghost hunts, and every time... Coming right from the belly button. Say it with your stomach. (laughs) Walking in there telling everybody, stomach's up, it's about to go down. So, from the Latin word venter for belly and loki to speak, hence the word ventriloquist. The film then shows over our opening credits a woman writing in a book, which includes family photographs and detailed diagrams for building the perfect doll or ventriloquist dummy. We see various shots of different doll parts that I supposed are the cast-offs of many trial and error attempts at building said perfect doll. And one of the doll's faces we see looks a lot like the Brahms doll from The Boy. Mm -hmm. But seeing as how that movie was made nine years later, I, I doubt it's the same one. It just looks a lot like him and, again, makes me wonder about that everything is connected in horror. Because that's also a very spooky movie. I'm going to say it was him. (laughs) I'm just putting it out there right now. (laughs) Well, finally, we see the doll uh, that has been created and we zoom in right through his eyeball to our opening scene, uh, which is water running through a pipe which lands on the face of our lead, Jamie Ashen, who is attempting to fix the kitchen sink. I'm not exactly sure what's wrong with it, since it's obviously draining onto his face, so I suppose it's just the fact that he's taken it apart that is the reason that it's not working properly anymore. He's like, look, I turn the water on, it goes straight to the floor. I don't Get I it. I, do, I took these pipes off and the water just runs straight through. I don't understand how that <laughs> happens. Uh, but he has promised to make his wife a gourmet dinner. So obviously that involves taking apart the sink. Uh, he promises <laughs> it will be worth the wait, though. But his lovely wife, Lisa, ain't got time for that. And she tells him to surrender to the wonders of takeout. Hell, we do almost every night, buddy. It is... Then wonderful. Worth it. Then wonders are wonderful, for sure. Well, they tease each other and giggle about it as they kiss. It's one of those scenes that's meant to show you very quickly that these two crazy kids are really in love and have a good relationship so that when something bad happens, we understand how tragic it is. They're in love and nothing can tear them apart. Nor should it. (laughs) So our lead here is played by Australian actor Ryan Quanton. Uh, You can... Even pick up on his accent that he lets slip a couple of times, most notably when he accidentally calls his wife Lisa Leeser, uh, which is how <laughs> they would pronounce it there. Uh, he does have. <laughs> did you pick up on no. that? No. He did it a couple of times. I'm like, oh, Leeser. Will you start calling me Leeser? I, I mean, I if you like. Don't. <laughs> okay, maybe next time don't ask me to do it then. <laughs> You're just immediately setting me up to fail. Would just you like to do test. this? Well, don't think about it. Well, that's what it was. It was a test. It was <laughs> testing you to see if you would be willing to do it. I said, yes, apparently we're breaking up. <laughs> don't pack your bags. <laughs> uh, well, Ryan does have some other creepy credits, most notably. He's done a lot of horror television series. 
including True Blood, Greg Nicotero's Creepshow reboot, the Jordan Peele ripoff Them, and the Facebook watch Blumhouse series Sacred Lies. But he does have one other creepy credit in feature film form, and it is called Flight 7500. Never heard of it. Me neither. But I'm packing my bags and I'm ready to fly. Well, Jamie's lovely wife is played by actress Laura Reagan. Uh, she was in Unbreakable, My Little Eye, They, Hollow Man 2, which I did not know there was a sequel to. Apparently it went straight to video. <laughs> uh, and also How to Be a Serial Killer. Hmm. I guess it's one of those instructional videos they put out, I guess. Yeah, like a how-to for dummies. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Uh, So back at that tragedy I mentioned earlier, the doorbell rings and Jamie goes to answer it. Turns out someone has left a large package at the door with no return address. Okay, first off, if a large plain brown paper wrapped package showed up on your doorstep with your name on it and nothing else, like no return address, not even your address, what do you do? Open it. Do you really? I mean, hmm. Yes. I don't know. Is I'm, it is it making any noise? I don't know. It's just a large package. You don't know who it's from, and it just shows up. I, I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes that lands you great things, like the drive-in. So. Yeah, and sometimes it gets shit blown up in your face. Well, you can't pick and choose. <laughs> Open all the packages and figure it out. <laughs> well, I mean, you could err on the side of caution, live to open another package another day. But what? Well, I mean, like I'd poke it with a stick first, and maybe like let it sit for a day or something. But eventually, I'd have to open it. Uh, it would get the better of you, huh? That curiosity. At the very least, I would like call nine one one and ask if they open it in front of me. Like if I'm too suspicious, I'd yeah. be like, okay, well, it's still killing me. So if at the very least you could just unwrap it in front of me, if it truly is something for me, then you can leave. But I wonder if you could like go to a building that has like one of those x-ray things just go down to the airport and pretend like you're going to get on a plane send it through the x-ray thing <laughs> and be and like say, oh did you see anything explosive in there can i take that home? <laughs> i would just play it off and be like oh my my flight got canceled and then i'd grab my box and leave as long as they weren't alarmed by anything then i shouldn't be alarmed by anything Zoink, got a blast. <laughs> well they of course bring it inside and lisa dives into the thing like she's expecting pirate's treasure <laughs> like oh boy the balloons and jewels were rich uh they rip the damn thing open and inside is the creepy ventriloquist doll that we just saw being built in the film at the beginning and right here is where the movie should end because obviously you just take it outside and burn it yeah tragedy avoided roll credits i can admit that if i had opened said suspicious box and there was a doll inside there I would immediately call 911. <laughs> I would call 911, evacuate my home, move states. Because well, somebody what would the doesn't. the police do? I don't know. Figure it out. But I, I'm out of there. I think they would take you to jail for <laughs> filing a false complaint. Well, that sounds like a them problem, not a me problem, <laughs> because my ass would be out of there. If somebody has my address enough for, to know that they should send me a creepy doll. I now live two states away. See, that's what I'm just saying. If you just would have thrown it away to begin with, again, we have avoided this situation altogether. Yes, but that's the spice of life, is opening up these (laughs) unknown packages, getting destroyed mentally and physically, opening it when you see that it's a dog. Yeah, and then, you know, abandon all hope and jump states. All right, I see. So it's the journey for you. Exactly. All right. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) 
Well, of course, our happy couple doesn't burn it or throw it away. No, Lisa has to take it out and fuck around with it and joke about wanting Chinese food. Uh, which is stupid because everyone knows ventriloquist dolls prefer Italian. Exactly. Uh, Strike one, Lisa. (laughs) You are just asking for trouble. (laughs) Well, Lisa then says that this reminds her of that old poem from their hometown. Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And something, something scary. Oh, yes, that sounds terrifying. Always gets me. (laughs) Also, why does their hometown have their own creepy poem? I don't know, but I'm here for it. Is that a thing? People are like, yeah, the poems that we would say in my hometown, phew, they would creep you the fuck out. That would be amazing. If my hometown was, like, notorious for having, like, creepy poems about ladies and tongues being ripped out and dolls and everything, I would never move. Well, the thing is, we're going to find out as this story goes along that this is all localized to this town. But this story becomes so grand and over the top. I'm like, there is no fucking way that people from eight states over didn't know about this bullshit. So you can't tell me that this was all just in your town. That's the thing that gets me. It's like, when in my town, it was a bad omen to receive a doll. Well, I just feel like that's anywhere because it's creepy. It is creepy anywhere. I can can vouch for that. (laughs) Well, anyway, Lisa takes the dummy, which I don't mean to be rude, but he kind of looks like actor Fisher Stevens. If you don't know who that is off the top of your head, as you're watching this movie, pause on the dummy's face and then look up Fisher Stevens. In fact, go do it right now. I'll wait. I can kind of see it. You see it, right? Yeah. Minus the glasses? Yeah. Yeah, you see it. (laughs) Okay, so Lisa takes the dummy and sets it up on the couch. She and Jamie just stare at it for a moment uh, when the dummy's jaw drops open on its own. Ew. Scary. <laughs> that was the first time. You're like, hate it. <laughs> <laughs> the first of many hate it's to come. <laughs> well, next we see Jamie has gone out to grab some of that Chinese food for the couple at Kaka Lucky Seafood Barbecue Restaurant. I'm not a fan of the word kaka being associated with something I'm going to eat, but I understand that there is a language difference here, and I'm sure kaka means something very lovely in Chinese. Uh, but this is an actual restaurant in Toronto where this movie was shot. Mm-hmm. In present day, the name has apparently changed to Walk and Roast Chinese Barbecue, but you can actually still look them up on the web as Kaka Lucky Seafood Barbecue Restaurant. So there you go if you're in the Toronto area. Check them out. That sounds very interesting. Well, back at the apartment, Lisa is putting the dummy in their bedroom and then covers it with a sheet. Why wouldn't you just put it back in the case it came in? Why the fuck do you put it in your bed? <laughs> I don't know. This is where you sleep. I, it would. I would have. Well, I mean, I already told you what I would have done at this point. I would have been out of the house and state. But yeah, there would have been no way that I would have been like, "All right, tucking you in for the night. See you, see you in a bit, champ." <laughs> You hold things down in here, buddy. <laughs> Love you. Well, next we see Lisa stop on the way out of the room to check herself out in a full-length mirror. She smooths out her clothes and then takes a pillow and puts it under her shirt and imagines what it would look like if she had a bit of a belly. Hmm, could we be pregnant? Hmm. That certainly would make it all the more sad if something tragic were about to happen. Maybe... 
Well, next, out in the living room, we can hear music playing on the couple's sick-ass hi-fi stereo. (laughs) Again, with the weird music situation. Uh, So this is a song called Who's Holding You Now? And it's a solo endeavor performed by Jeanette Napolitano, who was the lead singer to one of my favorite 80s bands ever, Concrete Blonde. Uh, And this song is listed in the end credits, but yet it never actually shows up on the soundtrack. I don't know why I'm so hung up on this. It just (laughs) seems weird. It is very bizarre. Well, something else strange starts to happen with the music here. The audio starts to sound kind of warped. For some reason, this makes Lisa think that Jamie has returned home, so she goes out to the living room calling his name. When she arrives in the living room, the music then winds down to a halt. Lisa then notices the clock noise slowing down and then stopping as well. Next, she sees the tea kettle start to steam and whistle, but the sound of that starts to warp and fade away as well. So it's not like time is stopping. Everything is still going on, but all the ambient sound has just died out. So Lisa then hears what sounds like a little kid laughing off in the distance. This makes Lisa turn back around to look back at that dummy covered in a sheet sitting on their bed. She slowly walks back to the room. No sound now, just her footsteps as she walks back to the bed. She reaches out to pull away the sheet, but the sheet flies up into the air, engulfing Lisa as she flails her arms about trying to get the sheet off her when she is sent back flying across the room. Flying hard. I mean, (laughs) she is booted across the room, landing in the doorway with her lower half still in the room and her upper half out in the hall. She is winded from hitting the ground and starts to crawl out from underneath the sheet. She also throws up blood or black bile. Not sure, but neither can be good. I mean, there's some internal stuff going on here. Um, She then hears something approach behind her, turns around only to be yanked backwards, her hand clawing at the floor as she screams in terror. I gotta say, this was classic James Wan horror. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And as usual, he knows how to block out a really nice suspenseful scene. Uh, I also see a pattern across his movies where he likes to use doors and doorways a lot in his scares. Yeah, Makes me wonder if that ties into a personal fear of his. Mm -hmm. Well, we then cut to Jamie, who has arrived back at their apartment building. We see he has their dinner, plus he picked up a red rose for Lisa as well. Ooh, they are laying it on a little thick at this point. Uh, You know, we get it. They are so much in love. Probably going to have a baby. This is going to be so tragic when he goes upstairs and sees what happens. So Jamie makes his way into the apartment where the music is blaring and the tea kettle is going off. He goes into the kitchen to turn off the kettle and calls out for Lisa. She answers and tells him she's back in the bedroom. Mm, I don't like it. He grabs the food and the rose and heads off down the hall, nearly slipping in Lisa's blood. This gets Jamie's attention, and he turns on the light in the hall, revealing a lot of blood. Like, way more blood than we saw her puke up. (laughs) Yeah. It's all over the floor and the walls. Jamie calls out to Lisa again, and she again answers and tells him she has a surprise for him. 
He goes back into the bedroom and turns on the light, and we can see something is back under that sheet on the bed. Only this time, there's a little blood on the sheet. Hmm. Well, Jamie hears Lisa laughing, but he thinks the sound is coming from behind him, so he turns around to tell her this little game of hers isn't funny. But when he turns, no one's there. He continues to make his way to the bed until he finally rips the sheet back, revealing Lisa's corpse frozen in time with a silent scream in a really bad CGI on her face. So (laughs) keep in mind, this movie was made in the early 2000s when filmmakers all thought they had to use CGI for their effects just because they could. Not because it looked better. In fact, nine times out of ten, it looked way worse. But it was a new technology and everyone wanted to use it. So we're going to see a lot of effects in this movie that could have been done practically and probably would have been a lot more effective. But it also would have been more expensive. So this is when they just started adding everything in post. Thankfully, CGI effects have improved by leaps and bounds since 2007, but back then it was still pretty bad and it has not aged well. Well, we can also see that that dummy is no longer on the bed, but is now on the floor against the dresser. We then get a pretty cool transition from James Wan where he shows the passage of time by starting each next quick succession scene by pulling out from Jamie's eye to reveal what's going on around him. In the first one, we see emergency services there taking Lisa's body away. And then in the next quick scene, we, we've transitioned to the police station where he's waiting to be questioned by detectives. It's also a nice visual throwback to how Wan started the film by pushing in to the dummy's eye that we saw being built over the opening credits. Well, we now see the detective assigned to the case, and this is Detective Lipton, who is played by Donnie Wahlberg. We have, of course, talked about the former New Kids creepy credits back in the Sixth Sense episode, but here they are again. He's been in Black Circle Boys, Dreamcatcher, The Sixth Sense, as previously mentioned, and Saw 2, 3, and 4, which James Wan served as executive producer on, so he and good old Wahlberg have worked together quite a bit. Which is, I think, randomly surprising to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. Yeah, I remember whenever I first saw this movie, I didn't realize that he was in this. And so when he popped up, it was almost like I didn't know if it was going to be like a parody. Because also at this time, uh, that's when a lot of like scary movies were coming out, these mm-hmm. scary movie parody movies. And so sometimes when I would go into like, like these supposed to be genuinely creepy movies, but um, like they weren't ones that I had known from theaters, you know, I was always a little bit hesitant that there would be like cameos from certain celebrities, but they... They weren't meant to be serious, you know what I mean? Right. And so I was I was a little bit worried that it wouldn't be, like, the most effective, I guess, him in this role. I didn't mind it at, at all. It was just surprising. And the first time I watched it, I wasn't expecting it. Like I said, I was, I, I really was, I was like, uh-oh, is this going to be, like, is he going to be, like, our talking, like, joke-off character, you mm. know, the whole time? Which I just wasn't wanting in this movie, I guess I should say. But, I mean, he's not that character, but... Oh, well, see, I thought he was. I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on with him. I mean, he's definitely, like, the goof, I think, in the movie. But it it wasn't, to me, overtly so, I guess. Well, my thing was, I couldn't figure out if he was supposed to be comic relief. And, you know, it is supposed to be funny. And we can laugh at him. Or if he just played it so bad, it was coming off comically. I couldn't... 
It just, it wasn't clear either way, and it just made it bad. I will say that he's not a very good detective. Oh, God, he's the worst fucking detective on the planet. <laughs> he's just terrible. The whole character I, I is horrible. He's pointless. We did, really didn't need this side story of this detective coming after him. Yeah. I mean, either way, Jamie was going to end up back in this town trying to figure out what happened to his wife. Yeah. So he's kind of pointless, but he's there and we're just going to have to to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next we see Lipton is being briefed on the case by a female detective who have no idea who she is because neither her character nor the actress who play her are listed in the credits. Oh. She, she has this whole scene yeah. with lines and she is nowhere. Huh. Anywhere. <laughs> it That's is bizarre. the weirdest thing. Yeah. Again, it's just this other weird thing with this movie. It's like, what? <laughs> Why? Why are you not listed? Were you embarrassed? <laughs> well... Lipton goes in to interrogate Jamie, and he immediately tells Jamie it was a mistake bringing his wife a rose, because if he had a dime for every dude that brought his wife a rose on the day he offed her, well, you know. He'd have a rose. (laughs) And keep in mind, all this is being said while Lipton is shaving. Yeah. He randomly, like, does that throughout the movie, though. Yes. He'll just, like, pull out his razor and his start shaving. His little electric razor and just randomly start shaving. Which, like, is that a common thing? I don't know what I would do if I was talking to somebody and they just whipped out a razor and started shaving. I'd be like, I, I'm i sorry, did I? <laughs> I didn't. Oh, okay. Uh, Could you not have done this before you walked in here? Yeah, it, I mean, that's not even embarrassing. It's just like, uh, I'm sorry that I interrupted this very important shaving time, Um God forbid you wait a few seconds. I guess I'll finish my thoughts. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't figure it. Again, it's just, I was like, is this guy serious? What is happening? <laughs> well, basically, the long and short of it is Lipton is looking at Jamie as the main suspect in Lisa's death. Surprisingly, even when Jamie explains about the puppet showing up out of the blue, coupled with the fact that they were from a small town where receiving a puppet was a bad omen and meant certain death for those around him, Lipton still thinks Jamie is the guilty party. (laughs) Also, what the fuck kind of town did you live in, dude, where puppets and poems are death threats? Were you, was it anti-Fraggle Rock? (laughs) Is it just some town started by a disgruntled employee that had worked for Jim Henson? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Just because I wanted to call him Big Brad and snuffle up your guts doesn't mean I should get fired. It's called Frazzled Rock. (laughs) Never liked my ideas. (laughs) Sure, maybe Alistair the Malcontent Trash Dweller wasn't catchy enough for kids. Well, fuck you, Henson. I'm going to start my own town and you're not invited. Well, Lipton tells Jamie that it's super weird that Jamie claims he heard Lisa's voice right before he found her, seeing as how she didn't have a tongue. Weird. What? Suspicious. Ruh-roh. Things are not looking good for Jamie. But Lipton doesn't have enough to hold him, so Jamie is free to go. We next see Jamie arrive back at the apartment. The crime scene tape is still up over the door, but he just walks right in under it. Doesn't that mean you're not supposed to be in there? Maybe he likes it. Maybe he's saving it for Halloween. (laughs) Maybe so. Well, Jamie makes his way into the bedroom, which also has crime scene tape over the bed. No, it wouldn't. That's not a thing. They're not going to put crime scene tape on the door that's already keeping people out and then put more crime scene tape further inside the crime scene. (laughs) It really happened right here. You thought it happened in there? Surprise. It's actually right here. 
Well, Jamie finds that damn dummy that he explained to the police was just mysteriously dropped off right before his wife was murdered, but yet no one thought we should take it into evidence. Well, that's okay, because for sure, Jamie's going to take it outside and burn it, because it, it killed his wife, right? That's responsible, so we should burn it. Yeah. Wrong. Instead, he re-examines the packaging for any clues that might tell him where this thing came from. Eventually, he decides to rip the lining out of the case the puppet came in, and under it, he finds a poster or an ad thing printed inside that touts the amazing Mary Shaw and Billy in Raven's Fair, which was apparently an old ventriloquist act performed in that town, which just so happens to be, you guessed it, the town where Jamie and Lisa are from. Bum, bum, bum. We see Jamie then travel back to Raven's Fair in his very red car. I say it's very red because it's in very sharp contrast to everything else around it, which is grays and blacks and muted tones. So you'll notice a lot of red show up purposefully. Uh, Jamie's car, the puppet's bow tie, the red felt in his case. So here's another instance of a director using red significantly in their horror film. Uh, The best I can tell is the significance of red in this film may be uh, for when something is connected directly to Mary Shaw and Raven's Fair. Uh, I think the the more directly connected it is to her, the more red we see is kind of what I was able to gather from that. We also see that Jamie is driving with the puppet just fucking hanging out in the back seat. (laughs) Why the fuck is it not in its case in the trunk? I don't know why, like, the moment they received this little dude, they're just like, you know what? You don't deserve to be in this case. You deserve to live your life. You're family, in beds, man. Driving cars. You will never spend another moment in that trunk. Be free, <laughs> little boy. <laughs> I don't understand the compulsion these people have to just display this creepy thing. Uh, I mean, it was a gift. I get it. My cat brought me a dead bird once, but I didn't have the urge to prop it up on my bed. Yeah, especially, like, such a creepy gift, you know? Like, I understand if it's, like, I don't know, somebody got you a new laptop. Maybe you want to take a laptop for a ride. I don't know your life, but that, to me, is more forgiving than if I turn around and see this creepy-ass doll in your back seat, because then I'm going to wreck my car, you're going to wreck your car, because I've now wrecked into you, and all because you decided to put this doll in the back seat instead of in its trunk. Way to go, Jamie. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Irresponsible. We've all wrecked our vehicles because you're carrying around a creepy-ass doll in your back seat. Think about your actions, buddy. Is this what you wanted? Are you happy? Lisa sends her love. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jamie drives through town, and we can see that it's mostly deserted. Most of the businesses appear to have closed up, and there's leaves all over the street, so you know it's definitely abandoned. I don't know why... (laughs) <laughs> when people want to show you that things are abandoned, they just pour leaves all over everything. Yeah, It's like, all this does is tell me that you manufacture trees here. <laughs> I don't know why. It just looks absurd. There's yeah. too many leaves. <laughs> it's like, does the wind never blow here? <laughs> well, Jamie then makes his way to a very fancy large house. Uh, a very enthusiastic woman opens the door and greets him with a hug. She tells him how sorry she is for his loss and that she's so happy he's home. Oh, and by the way, we haven't been introduced. I'm Ella, your stepmother. What? Because <laughs> a second ago she was treating him like they were long lost relatives, and now she says they don't even know each other? All right. <laughs> 
if you say so. (laughs) Okay, again, here for the ride. As they make their way upstairs so Jamie can see his father, Ella tries to explain to Jamie that his father isn't the same man he used to be, uh, that he's a much kinder and gentler fellow, to which Jamie says, well, then you're not married to my father. So obviously, Jamie and his father have a bit of a strained relationship. Or they're just kind of like passive aggressively rude to each other. <laughs> like they're nice. They like each other. But, you know, occasionally they're like, fuck you, guy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, just Families father, are son. different. Just some father-son ribbon. <laughs> you know, just getting your goat. Got your dad. <laughs> Got your dad, you big asshole. <laughs> you big son of a bitch. Oh, well, things have taken a turn because when he gets into dad's room, he sees his dad has had a stroke and is confined to a wheelchair. It's not so funny anymore. Oh. Mm, sad. Sorry. Well, Ella now has to care for him and is constantly at his side. Jamie asks why no one ever told him about the stroke, to which his father says, you never return my calls. Ouch. Way to go. Son of the year, Jamie. Way to go, Jamie. God, dick. It has Hope nothing to do with... you a ventriloquist doll. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously deserved it. <laughs> a doll for you that's a doll for you you're cool you get a doll and you get a doll (laughs) so jamie's father edward is played by actor bob gunton he only has one other creepy credit but it is a doozy it's the 1999 campy lou diamond phillips joint bats i don't think i've heard of that you haven't heard of Bats? I don't think so. Oh, it's usually playing on Shutter. We're going to have to check out Bats. Uh, it's it's something else. It is something else. I'm down. I don't even know what it's about, but <laughs> I love freaking Bats. It is about freaking Bats. <laughs> well, Edward tells Jamie he knows he wasn't the easiest father to get along with, but he's changed now and would like to help if possible. He knows Jamie has brought Lisa back here to bury her and he can help with the arrangements. Jamie then asks him about a poem his mother used to read to him when he was little. And it went something like, Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure you never, ever scream. So we finally get to hear the ending of that poem. It doesn't, it doesn't just end something, something scary, like, <laughs> like Lisa suggested. So there are actually two different versions of the Mary Shaw poem. Mm-hmm. In the movie, the poem goes, Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure you never, ever scream. But in the trailer, it ended, And if you see her, do not scream. She'll rip your tongue out at the, the seam. Yeah. I have no idea why there are two different versions. That I, seems confusing. Yeah. Pick one, please. I like the one with the tongue seam. It's I do, very too. Creepy. That was in the trailer. Why Why did it change for the trailer? Maybe because Lisa wasn't there to tell us what it was. <laughs> she just said it's something, something scary, so uh, we can Lisa. leave that up. We can leave that up for her suggestion. All right. Well, Ella and Edward both tell Jamie that the poem was just an old ghost story that parents used to tell their kids to keep them in line, and that small towns and small minds breed small-minded superstitions. They what then- kind of, like, like, moral lesson is that, though? Like, I get other, you know, little sayings and urban legends you tell your kids to like make sure they stay out of the woods what is this teaching them how many mary shaws are walking around town that you're like don't look at her (laughs) don't well maybe the children of ravens whatever this place is just randomly screamed a lot (laughs) they were 
we're just trying to get him to shut up. Like, Stop with the screaming. Oh my God, I'm sending Mary Shaw so after your ass if you make one more pee. Because we're all just very loud children. Well, they then invite Jamie to stay at the house, but he isn't too happy that they've just dismissed his concerns about the poem. So he says, no thanks, he won't be staying long, and he has a funeral to arrange. Ella goes running after Jamie and again tries to tell him that Edward has changed and he's not the same man he used to be. Jamie says, oh really? See these here paintings? As he points to several paintings on the wall. My mother used to be in them until my father drove her to kill herself. And his second wife? Well, she was smart enough to leave him. So you better be glad you're going to outlive him, lady, so there'll be no one around to paint you out. So basically... What his father would do is, when a wife was no longer in the picture, he would literally have her painted out of the picture. Get her out of there. So you have these paintings with empty chairs now in them. What kind of fucking sociopath does that? (laughs) Has someone painted out of a picture? (laughs) Just take it down. Or have a new one painted. Especially one with your son's mother in it. Holy shit, dude. That is some cold fucking shit. To literally paint her out of a painting. So it's like the father on one side, the son on the other, and this empty fucking chair in the middle. It's horrible. If I was walking in that house, I'd be like, do you guys just really like this chair? Or like, (laughs) is the chair your mom? What's the story here? My mom's a chair. (laughs) You're sitting on my mom. <laughs> oh, your mom's chair. No, that's my mom. Don't say that in front of her. Get up. Sit on the couch, asshole. Stop sitting on her face. Do you Rude. see me sitting on your mom? No, you don't. <laughs> sit on your sister once. <laughs> well, next we see Jamie at the funeral home run by Henry Walker. They discuss different casket options, and Henry tells Jamie that once the police have released the body, Henry will be able to pick Lisa up and bring her back here. Well, next we see Jamie arrive at the only motel in town, which happens to have a bright red office and a red sign that blinks on and off into Jamie's room. I could not. It would drive me bananas. I would have to ask for another room. Yeah. We also see Jamie has the fucking puppet in his hotel room yeah no sitting in a chair by the window no why the hell would you even bring it in with you no ridiculous i think that's the funny thing is the fact that like they won't even put it back in its suitcase like i get it if you for whatever reason you're like i gotta keep this close to make sure i don't leave this lose this important piece of evidence or whatever (laughs) but like at the very least keep him in his case my guy like he does not need to be seeing the world around him all you're doing is giving him ideas on who to murder (laughs) now this is on you now your hands are bloody and it's your fault because you didn't leave him in his case leave the damn thing in a case exactly well that night as jamie tries to fall asleep amidst that damn flashing red light uh it's even making a noise yeah you know just yeah that kind of like buzzing mm, yes and it gets louder and yeah. louder and then the sink in the bathroom is dripping so we get this boink boink until those sounds start to warp and slow down until they fade away to quiet as the camera pushes in on the puppet's face and we see his eyes slowly turn to look at jamie hate it don't like it makes me uncomfortable i'm not a fan all of this could have been avoided but i do gotta say 
that is one thing I love about this movie is the sound thing that he does every oh, time yeah. we're focusing in on the doll's actions. Super effective. Yeah, it is. It's so fun and it's not something that's done a lot, but I do think it's kind of the antithesis of the people that'll do uh, music scores and bring the music up when something exciting is about to happen mm-hmm. or something you know scary and they really build up that moment. I like the antithesis of that where we're making the sound quiet because I think it makes it much more raw and creepy because you're sitting in that silence with this doll wondering what's going to happen. Yeah. And and it makes the sounds you are hearing amplified. Exactly. Yeah. Because when when I say the ambient sounds fall, falls away, that that's a, a key word, that ambient. So, so if like there's a storm going on outside, it's raining and lightning, all that sound goes away. Yeah. And like this flashing light was making that buzzing noise, that sound went away. Yeah. The dripping went away. But yet... If you are a human being in that room, any noise you make, like if you walk across the floor or pick something up, that still makes a noise. So you're still getting noise, but it's just all that extra stuff that that just kind of noise that's kind of constantly there Mm -hmm. has fallen away and it makes everything else so crisp and intense. It is really, really effective every time he does it. Yeah, which I think is like true to life because that is so jarring. I know there's been plenty of instances where it's very common here in Oklahoma where we get storms in the middle of the night and it'll knock out the electricity or something and it never fails. We can both be dead asleep and that happens and just that loss of like white noise from our fans and, you know, stuff like that, it completely jars you awake Mm -hmm. and it's so weird to think that quiet can do that but we're so used to that noise that when it's just stripped away like that all of a sudden we're like what wait a minute (laughs) are my ears broken what's going on here yeah and it's very disconcerting which just automatically puts you in this weird headspace of "Uh uh-oh something's not right yeah yeah and lo and behold, it's Creepy McGee over here on the chair that should be in a suitcase. <laughs> they just put him in the damn case. Billy. did all this shit. Billy needs to be in his case. <laughs> well, Jamie then hears what sounds like Lisa call his name, but then the voice changes to that of an old woman, and Jamie opens his eyes to see the puppet right next to the bed. Gross. This freaks Jamie fully awake. He then turns and sees intermittent in that red flashing light an old woman sitting in the corner of the room that i hate i I, you stick a human being in the corner for some reason it freaks me the fuck out the curtains in the room keep flying in the wind and obstructing her face but when she turns to look at jamie He can see enough to know that this is Mary Shaw. He gasps and quickly grabs for the light next to the bed, but when he turns it on, Mary is gone. The sound in the room returns, and only the puppet remains, still where Jamie had left him, in the chair by the window. That was some intense shit. That whole scene was really well done. And, of course... Jamie didn't scream when he saw her, only gasps, so he lives another day. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, Mary Shaw here is played by actress Judith Roberts. Uh, she can boast that she was in probably two of, I think, some of the more classic horror films, but classic in a different way kind of way she was in silent night deadly night Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and Eraserhead. Oh wow! Oh my God, she played uh, she played the neighbor across the yeah, hall. Yeah, yeah. So she didn't have a big part, but yeah, can you believe it? Those the, those are just they're classics. They're so vastly different too. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like all three of these to be able to say like, yeah, I did a few horror movies. You know, just your classic Christmas classic, Silent Night, and then you know Eraserhead and. Uh, just a little movie, Dead Silence. It's like none of them have anything in common. <laughs> just they're all crazy in their own right. Oh, yeah. Well, her creepy credits gets a little more bizarre because she can also be seen in the TV series adaptation of Joe Hill's Nosferatu uh-huh. and the really obscure comedy horror series, The Heart She Holler, uh, which appeared on, I think it was on Adult Swim in around like. 2014, I want to say, with Amy Sedaris and Patton Oswalt. Do you remember that show? Literally, no. It was, it's one of those that you just watch and you go, it sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> it's what it felt like as you're watching it. You're like, I don't know if this is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen or the weirdest. Just the cast sounds. You just watch it slack jawed and go, what is going on here? Yeah. It's, uh, it was something to behold. It sounds like it. I'm sad I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably try and check it out somewhere. It's uh, it's a crazy, crazy ride. She does have a horror feature film that came out this year called The Last Thing Mary Saw, <gasps> which is very close to Mary Shaw. Yeah. Mm, that'd be cool if it was a secret sequel. A secret, yeah, but like we get to see why she doesn't like loud kids. I the mean, whole movie is just her berating do we need children. A, a movie to explain that? Oh, All no. you got to say is loud kids, and everyone gets why you don't like loud kids. <laughs> like, oh, like, yeah, say amen. no more. <laughs> Shut those guys up, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Send all the dolls after them, dude. <laughs> well, back at the funeral home, we see Henry has arrived with Lisa's body and is preparing his space to start the embalming process. But when he opens the body bag and gets a look at Lisa's distorted face and missing tongue, he freaks out and says, no, it can't be, implying that he's seen this type of thing before. And something tells me that once you've seen someone with their tongue ripped out, you don't really forget it. Yeah, that feels like something I would definitely, not on purpose, but subconsciously lock away to haunt me in my dreams <laughs> i i think that one's gonna stick with you yeah yeah something i think about late at night in the dark <laughs> during the day in the bright sunlight it's always gonna be there weep about in the bathroom <laughs> mm-hmm. well next henry is distracted by what sounds like heavy breathing he starts calling out for his wife marion asking if that's her and makes his way to what i'm guessing is an entrance to the crawl space under the house it's something that should be closed up permanently i can <laughs> let you know be that cemented much and this happens a couple of times this is like her favorite hiding space in this building and it's like I don't understand why this is an option. Like, I don't at this point, either. this should have been concreted up, locked up. At the very least, put a lock on the fucking door. Yeah, it's too creepy. It is. Well, it appears that poor Marion suffers from either Alzheimer's or dementia and goes under here to hide with her stuffed raven crow bird thing. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know, her little friend, uh, when things get a little overwhelming. I get it. Sensory overload. you got to have your safe spot. Uh, But she keeps getting under here, and it's dangerous. So he has to plead with her to come out, and he is not fucking around. He's like, I mean it. Don't make me come in there. I will squirt you with the water bottle again. Don't make (laughs) me do it. It is time for bed, and I mean it. (laughs) But like you were saying, if this is such a problem, put a goddamn lock on the door. Yeah. 
silly. There's no reason that we need to have people hiding in our crawl spaces, even if it's a sensory place. I get it. Set her up a little teepee or, you know, what are those like? Set her up a tent. That's what I was looking for. A set tent. her up. Yeah. Yeah. Set her up a little tent and you can you know, give her her own, you know, kitchen cabinet and she can get take her the own dishes. kitchen cabinet. Yeah, take the dishes out. She can crawl right inside with the pots and pans. She'll be perfectly happy. <laughs> She I was like the tiny little crawl space. I was thinking like a cute little tent with like lights and like cute little sensory <laughs> place. And you're like, just throw, clean out a kitchen cabinet. She'll be fine. I'm just saying it didn't even have to be, a, you know, she likes the little spaces. Give you, her a little space. Oh, <laughs> I was just trying to be helpful. <laughs> thought she liked the cabinet. I'm she sorry, Marion. Her and her little raven. Just hanging out in there. <laughs> Well, it seems Marion might be a little intuitive and says she can sense someone is here, but if she hides down here, she won't be able to find her. To which I would say, okay, I'll be down there as well. It seems like... <laughs> and I will join you. I don't want to be found either. You are worried, as you should be, so I'm going to get down here as well. <laughs> well, he does finally manage to coax her out and sends her off to bed so he can take photos of Lisa's injuries with the world's oldest camera what what is it looks like a camera a newspaper photographer in the 40s and 50s would have yeah like jimmy olsen's og camera in the superman comics yeah i mean this movie takes place in present day which would have been 2006 2007 so there should have been some fine affordable digital cameras available (laughs) henry i don't know why you need this giant he likes it old school i guess so Well, next, we fast forward to Lisa's funeral. Everyone is in black, which just makes the red roses on her casket stand out more. We see Ella is in attendance, but Edward is not. Wait. Isn't that the characters from Twilight? Ella and Edward? Bella. Oh, Bella. (laughs) (laughs) Bella and Edward. Never mind. Uh, So Ella is there, but Jamie's dad isn't. I suppose making it to a graveside service while wheelchair-bound and on oxygen would be a bit difficult, especially since it appears this cemetery is in the middle of the woods, because we next see Jamie walking through all these trees, but there's still gravestones around. You know, normally they would avoid putting cemeteries around a lot of trees since you can't bury people in tree roots, but, you know, I guess it looks pretty. They like them in the tree roots. They do here in ravens wherever they do it differently uh well off in the trees jamie sees marion walking around uh so he kind of goes after her uh but marion somehow teleports and sneaks up on him (laughs) and then starts asking jamie frantically if he saw her when she killed his wife uh did he see it happen but jamie doesn't know who the hell she's talking about uh, so she begins to recite that poem. Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And if you see her in your dreams. But before she can finish, Henry comes up calling her name and cuts her off. Well, he tells Marion to leave Jamie alone and that now is not the time. So Henry pulls Marion away. But as they go, she keeps insisting to Jamie that she's here and you must bury the doll. Wait, what? Bury the doll? How the fuck does she know about the doll? We've been looking for a way to get rid of the doll, and here's someone telling us 
what to do with the doll. So surely Jamie's going to go after them and insist that Marion explain what she's talking about. We could we could finish everything right now. But nope, he just gives a look like that was kooky and turns around. <laughs> what are you around. talking about dolls? <laughs> what? My wife's not even dead. What are you talking about? <laughs> She's not home, sitting on the bed with her mouth open. Cut it out. I mean, my wife was killed by a doll, but surely those two things don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> what a crazy lady. <laughs> Marianne and her kooky sayings. <laughs> Well, he then just turns around to investigate an old gravestone covered in vines. This, of course, turns out to be Mary Shaw's grave. Well, this is a revelation to Jamie, and it sends him back to the hotel room where he checks the back of the doll's neck. And carved there is the name Billy. Now, I thought we already knew the puppet's name was Billy because of that old poster Jamie found under the lining of the puppet's case that said Mary Shaw and Billy. Yeah. Inferring that the doll in the case is Billy. But I guess this was a big reveal moment for that. So that's why. He really is Billy. (laughs) So that's why I haven't been calling him Billy up to this point. But we'll call him Billy. Billy. There are a couple of times that there are big reveal moments that I'm just like. I thought we had this information already. (laughs) Maybe I was wrong. Uh, Well, next we see Jamie back in the car with Billy, now in the passenger seat, because I guess he called shotgun. I don't know why he's still just freeballing out here. Get up here, champ. You don't have to sit back there. You know that. (laughs) I mean, seriously, is the trunk full? Are there golf clubs? Why does it need to be near you at all times? That's where he has his other dolls. (laughs) Well, we see Billy slowly turn his eyes to look at Jamie. Ew, Bill. (laughs) We then hear the voice of Mary Shaw start to hum. This causes Jamie to look over at Billy, but Billy is now just looking forward again. If I was driving, again, I would wreck my vehicle. I shouldn't be driving anywhere when this is happening, but there's just too much going on. It should not be in the car. (laughs) Well, Jamie arrives back at the cemetery in the woods and makes his way to Mary Shaw's grave. Behind her grave are the graves of all her dolls. Jamie searches around until he finds the one for Billy. He unearths the casket, but as he does, Billy's mouth drops open and all the ambient sound falls away. Jamie notices but continues what he's doing. He grabs Billy and places him back in his tiny coffin. But as he does, Billy's head turns back to look at him. But Jamie just says fuck it and buries the doll and gets in his car to leave. He then begins to see someone or something running around his car and laughing. Ew. He then sees Billy right next to his window, who then runs away, making Jamie get back out of the car. But that little fucker is nowhere to be seen, so Jamie heads back to the motel. Well, Jamie is in the bathroom cleaning up and getting ready for bed. He walks out of the bathroom only to discover Billy sitting on the bed. Oh, and also, Detective Lipton has just let himself the fuck in his room. (laughs) Well, Lipton is here because Jamie has been causing him to use the word perplexed a lot lately. I think that line is so funny in this movie. I don't know why. I actually thought it was a good line. It's, It's the only good line Lipton had. The only clever thing he says throughout this whole fucking movie. I think it's just funny because it's like, 
you probably wouldn't be so perplexed if you would have been a better detective. <laughs> <laughs> this perplexion's all on you, my guy. It really is. You really suck at your fucking job. <laughs> He's like, look, all this evidence you're finding, I'm a little perplexed, okay? <laughs> look, I know that there was a crime here and that perplexes me, but you trying to solve it, cut it out. All right, that's my job. I'm not going to do it. But it's my job. Now shave my chin. <laughs> Jamie, my head is literally spinning. Okay. <laughs> oh, and yes, like you said, he starts this conversation while fucking shaving. <laughs> He's in this dude's room, whips out his electric razor, and just starts shaving. I bet his face is so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It always looks like he has a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> I wonder if this was scripted this way for this character or if this was just like a personal choice of Mr. Wahlberg's to give him this very specific quirk. It's just like, you know what, I just, I, th- I feel like he should have like a thing. You know, everybody needs a He's thing. He's not doing enough here, you know? It really perplexes me. And I think, <laughs> what about shaving? Has anyone done shaving? Let's do that. All right, I'm going to try something out here. You guys tell me if it works. If it doesn't don't care but i would like to know i was gonna go with hair combing but that's more of a danny zuko thing <laughs> grease so i went for the full-on shave well, anyway lipton wants to know why jamie was burying billy who happens to be evidence in a capital murder case what that's what the fuck we said before then why didn't you collect it as evidence at the scene <laughs> he's pissed that this guy took away evidence but yet you didn't collect that evidence. <laughs> <laughs> what? Worst detective ever. Uh, so Jamie tells him about the Mary Shaw poem and that he thinks whoever sent him the doll killed Lisa. Well, Lipton takes Billy, since it is evidence, and tells him, good night, neighbor. And we see that he's staying in the room right next door, to which he takes the damn doll inside the room with him. Even though we can clearly see his car is parked right out front, and he could easily just stick it right in the trunk, in an evidence bag where evidence should go, not in your fucking hotel room. Everybody's just really vibing with this doll. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what the deal is making me crazy well the next morning after shaving lipton leaves the hotel yes he shaves again and talks to the doll while he's doing it. yeah he's like how do you keep your face so smooth shut up just stop shaving shut up (laughs) what is the point of view so lipton leaves in his car and this gives jamie an opportunity to go into lipton's room which he just left the door open for housekeeping yeah With murder evidence just sitting in the room. He just leaves it open. No problem. Worst fucking cop ever. Uh, Jamie goes in, grabs Billy again, and takes him back to the Walker funeral home to show him to Marion. Jamie is there for some answers and wants to know what she knows about Mary Shaw. But before he can get his answers, Henry comes out and interrupts them he finally decides to tell Jamie about Mary Shaw, the ventriloquist, who lost her voice. So, in a flashback scene, we learn that back when Henry was a boy, in the glory days of Raven's Fair, there was this theater out on Lost Lake. Uh, He only ever went there one time, and that was to see the amazing Mary Shaw give life to the boy made of wood. So, 
There's a lot of red in the scene, by the way. The MC is all in red. The theater curtains are, of course, red. Mary's chair is red. Billy's case lining is red. Billy's bow tie. You get it. I mean, we're all dealing directly with Mary Shaw here, so it's just really prevalent. So Mary is putting on quite a show, and we see she's able to throw her voice uh, to fool everyone, and it's all amazing until one kid, Michael Ashen, a long-lost relative of Jamie's, yells out in front of everyone that he can see Mary's lips moving, and he thinks she's a fraud. Well, Mary, being the experienced ventriloquist she is, puts on even more of a show, making it appear that her and Billy are able to speak at the same time. Well, this amazes the rest of the audience, and they all cheer and applaud her incredible skill. And Mary didn't like the embarrassment too much, so she turns to Michael and says, Now who's the dummy? As everyone continues to applaud and cheer. But no harm, no foul, right? Well, maybe not, because just a few weeks later, Michael goes missing. So Henry always thought Mary had something to do with Michael's disappearance, but shortly after that, Mary was murdered. No one ever found out who killed her, and in her will, it stated that Mary was to be buried with all 101 of her dummies, or her children, as she called them. So Mary's body was then brought to Henry's father's funeral home uh, to fulfill her last request, which was that she, too, be made into a dummy. Ew. It uh, (laughs) it gets real twisted real quick. (laughs) Uh, Also, a few side notes real quick. In case there was any confusion, though the flashback scene would imply otherwise, Billy the Puppet was never alive in the film. In present day, he's only being uh, animated or manipulated by the spirit of Mary Shaw. So, according to director James Wan himself, Mary Shaw is just a veteran ventriloquist who has mastered her craft, uh, which is why she's able to switch between her normal voice and Billy's voice so well during the theater scene that it almost looked like they are talking at the same time. So, uh, in case there was confusion of, of people are like, well, is this Billy? Is is he really evil at first? No, he was never alive. He was always just a puppet. And this was always just evil Mary Shaw. Evil Mary Shaw. Evil. Well, there's also a really cool moment here where James Wan mixes the flashback of the story Henry's telling with Henry telling the story in modern day. You see Henry talking to Jamie, but when the lightning flashes from a storm outside, it illuminates the stairs out in the hall, and you can see young Henry from his flashback sneaking downstairs to spy on what his father has been working on in the funeral home. I thought it was a very cool way to kind of visually tie these points in time together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, young Henry here is being played by a very young Keir Gilchrist. He can currently be seen on Netflix Atypical, but he does have some pretty good creepy credits, including It Follows, Dark Summer, Tales of Halloween, The Good Neighbor, and Tilt. He was also in a TV series called Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends, which is not listed as horror, but it has a spider in it, so I'm just going to guess that uh, it was an oversight, and I added it here. (laughs) 
He literally looks the exact same. The moment I saw him, I was like, that's that kid from Atypical, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's just taller now. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. His face looks the exact same. It's so cute. <laughs> so as mentioned, young Henry sneaks downstairs into his father's workspace to get a peek at Mary Shaw's body. But he's so small, he has to climb up on the coffin stand to look inside. This causes the coffin to topple over, spilling Mary's corpse onto the floor right in front of Henry. Her face now hideously changed with fake eyes and a movable jaw. Henry then backs away like 40 feet to get to the wall. He he keeps backing up for an unusually long time. It's like, could we not start him closer to the wall? It's just like he keeps going. It's like, uh huh, almost all right. Well, that would be me though. I would just keep it going until there was a stopping point. My ass would be backing all the way up. No, I get it, but for film purposes, it just seemed like we could have cut this scene down quite a bit. Uh, Well, he finally gets there. Uh, But we do get another really nice way Juan uses shadow and light here, where Mary is left lying on the floor. Her body is in shadow, but when lightning flashes from outside, it appears her body is gone. It's a very cool effect that quickly disorients your viewers and gives them that, oh shit, where'd she go feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we learn that answer very quickly as Henry reacts to seeing Mary standing bolt upright, looking right at him but before she can lunge for him his father comes bursting into the room and turns on the light revealing mary to be back on the floor where her body originally fell out of the casket well back in present day henry then tells jamie that ever since mary was buried raven's fair has fallen onto hard times and families have been murdered they were all found with their tongues ripped out Jamie asks who would have dug up the dummy and sent it to him, but Henry doesn't know. So Jamie decides he's going to go out to the old theater on Lost Lake to see what he can find out, because apparently Mary also lived in the theater, I I guess. It was her home away from home. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it was just common knowledge that she lived there. Uh, But Henry tells him to be careful, because if you go looking for answers, you just might find them. Look, if you look for the results, you might find results. And I don't know what you want from that. Well, that's uh, precisely the desired outcome. Uh, Thank you for clarifying, Henry, how answers work. Also, I did notice at the beginning of the film when Jamie returns from getting Chinese food and goes into the kitchen to turn off the tea kettle, you can see uh, the refrigerator. And it has like those magnets that are all different colored letters. And the word lake was spelled out. Perhaps that was some foreshadowing as to where this story was leading us, but there were also the words dip and zom, so maybe it didn't mean shit. Sometimes <laughs> a snake is just a snake. <laughs> we then see Jamie in his very red car drive out to Lost Lake, where he just steals someone's boat at the dock uh, to make his way over to the entrance of the abandoned and rundown theater. We also get a quick cutback to Detective Lipton and what he's been up to. Apparently, he has decided to go back out to the cemetery and dig up all the other dolls buried with Mary. Well, back at the theater, Jamie explores the place. We see it has mostly been reclaimed by nature as he makes his way to the back of house to the very unstable catwalk, which is shockingly the only way to get to Mary's room. And, of course, it's, like, falling down around him. It's like, oh, no, it's so scary. He might fall. (laughs) But, 
horse he makes it across safely. Uh, and this leads him to this long hallway lined with windows, uh, the wind blowing in through broken panes and billowing the curtains, which then leads to Mary's house. I mean, how the fuck big is this theater? Giant. The catwalks generally just lead to the other side of the stage, not whole other fucking cities. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the entrance to Narnia? Where are we going? So big. Well, Jamie finds a doll with one of those pull strings, which he, of course, has to pull, and it screams mama at us, and Danny hates it. <laughs> that was seriously one of my favorite parts about this movie. Was it, all my hate uh, Yes. Every, <laughs> hate it. Gross. No, thank you. <laughs> you were so violently forceful about it. I just needed everybody to know my feelings on where they were during the movie. <laughs> it scared the dogs every time. Hate it. Oh, shit. What? <laughs> Sorry. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> well, eventually Jamie finds that old book that we saw over the opening credits of the movie. Remember the one with the family photos and the diagram for building the perfect doll? We also get another fantastic James Wan moment when Jamie finds the book. We get a wide shot where we can see Jamie reflected in the mirror of a vanity across the room from him. And if you watch the mirror, you can see Mary pass right behind him. But you can only see it in the mirror, not actually behind him in the room. It is so super creepy. Yes. I love it. I feel like we've watched um, quite a few movies lately that have done a lot of play with mirrors and lighting and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I love that you can show such effectiveness in the horror world with such simple items. But like... They really are pretty fucking effective. Mm -hmm. I mean, mirrors are just known to be creepy. (laughs) They just are. So, yeah, when we can do these little uh, tricks of the eye like that where you just you have to be paying attention in that moment to see it, I think is is really fun. Well, next we get to see a bit more of the book, which also includes clippings about Michael Ashen's disappearance. Remember the boy that went missing after he made fun of Mary? Jamie then thinks he sees Mary sitting in a chair in the reflection in the mirror, but when he turns around, she's not there. But we do get a jump scare out of it, so that's cool. (laughs) Uh, Looks like it scared Jamie, too, because he decides it's time to leave the theater. Well, next, back at Henry's funeral home, Henry is going over some paperwork, and here's Marion talking to someone, saying, Why can't you just leave us alone? We did what you want. We put you back with your family. I promise I didn't talk. But then we hear a different voice say, Yes, you did. You talked. And Henry hears it, too. He goes in to find Marion sitting in the funeral parlor, talking to Billy the doll, saying, Hey, talk to me again. Why have you gone so quiet? So Henry grabs Billy and says, I'm putting you back where you belong once and for all. He then takes him downstairs to the embalming room. And as he's getting a shovel and some gloves, he begins to hear Marion crying. He goes over to the entrance of that crawl space, pleading with her to come out. But she's really upset, so he's going to have to go in after her. But Billy seems to have taken an interest in what's going on as his head turns to watch Henry crawl through the door. Something tells me that's not Marion back there. 
We watch him crawl further and further back, all the while screaming, No, don't do it! It's not her! (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, the door slams shut on him, trapping Henry inside, when all the ambient sound cuts out. Henry, realizing it's not Marion he's trapped inside with, now starts banging on the door, begging for Marion to please come and let him out, until the voice of Billy says, Hello, Henry. Henry spins around and shines the flashlight just in time to see Mary's ghostly white hand disappear behind a beam. He then turns the light and shines it just across from him, which immediately hits Mary's grinning face, causing Henry to scream in horror. And we all know what happens next, because Henry has now graciously donated his tongue to Mary's cause, and she quickly claims her prize. And if you watch the unrated version, you get a lovely extended shot of Mary's creepy, long, tentacle-like tongue pierce Henry's mouth as she says, Your voice is mine now, Henry. Henry then falls backwards so we can get a crappy 2007 CGI treatment of the wound. R.I.P. Henry. You did us well. Well, next we see Jamie return to his father's house, where he finds Ella feeding him in the dining room. It's soup. Delicious, too. (laughs) If Ella must say so herself. (laughs) Which she did, and we didn't appreciate it. (laughs) Shut the fuck up, Ella. I mean, did you make it, Ella? (laughs) Probably. Good job on the soup. All right, fine. It's decent soup, Ella, okay? Is that what you wanted to hear? It's really good soup, and I would like second helping. (laughs) Possibly if you could write down the recipe. I appreciate that. (laughs) Is this a family recipe? Because it is tasty, but I still ate it. Also, is this homemade sweet tea? This is fantastic. <laughs> we just love sweet tea. We can never get our measurements right. <laughs> you know, it, it's really not that bad here in Ravens Fair. I'm thinking about moving back home, y'all. You know, I like poetry. <laughs> I really do. I can write it myself. So. And those dolls, I mean, how fun. Look at the little outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Tongues overrated. <laughs> I don't need all that talking. <laughs> I like the quiet and soup, so this is obviously where I need to be. Silence and soup. You know what they say. That's the greatest combo to fix any cold heart. (laughs) Silence and soup warms your heart. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. (laughs) My mom always said, silence and soup, that's the heart is. (laughs) Sounds like something my mom would say. (laughs) She'd be like, shh. Shut up and eat your soup, okay? Soup. It'll do my heart good if you just shut up and eat your soup. I'm going to need that needle pointed on something. Silence and soup. Does a heart good. Uh, That's amazing. The best thing to come out of this movie. Silence and soup. Just sip your soup in silence and no one loses a tongue. That's what I say. It's like a cafeteria worker. All the students are crying over their soup. Okay, sorry. Sorry, Miss Shaw. <laughs> well, it turns out that Jamie isn't hungry. He just wants to know what Michael Ashen, the little boy that made fun of Mary, uh, has to do with their family. So Edward explains that when great uncle Michael went missing, there was only ever one suspect. And so the Ashen family, along with others from the town, formed their own lynch mob, descended on Mary's home, made her scream, and then cut out her tongue and killed her. 
But Mary didn't stay dead for long and came back and took her revenge out on the town, killing off everyone involved with her murder, plus each of their descendants, until their entire bloodline has been wiped out. Sounds reasonable to me. I mean, go for the gusto. Y'all were jerks. (laughs) You really were. Think about your actions. No soup for you. (laughs) Well, Jamie insists that he's going to be the one to put a stop to all this murder madness and goes to storm out of the house. But good old shaving a haircut Detective Lipton just so happens to be at the door because it's been a few minutes since we've enjoyed his smart-ass remarks. And he informs Jamie that all of Mary's dolls that were buried with her have been dug up and are now missing. All 100 of them. Of course, Lipton still thinks Jamie is responsible, and they get into another argument, which Ella eventually interrupts to tell Jamie that someone is on the phone for him. The caller turns out to be the voice of Henry Walker, who tells Jamie he knows how to prove that Jamie didn't kill his wife, and that Jamie needs to meet him out at the theater on Lost Lake immediately. Uh, but we just saw Mary give Henry the French kiss of death, so this is obviously a trap. This is obviously not really who he says he is. I and mean, that... you should just stay here and have the soup. <laughs> really, soup o- should always win. When all else fails, <laughs> soup it out. Soup wins. <laughs> so Jamie tells Lipton that he's going to meet Henry to clear his name, but Lipton says that he's tired of all this Mary Shaw ghost bullshit and is taking him in for more questioning. But Jamie manages to give him the slip by literally pushing Lipton down and then just walking out to his car. Lipton gets back up and kind of briskly walks out to Jamie's car, uh, somewhat pleading with him to stop. No, don't do this. Stop, Jamie. Please cut it out. Come back here. No, I don't want to do it. Bring back Uh, that evidence. (laughs) But Jamie just calmly gets in his car and drives away. It's the most lackluster escape and chase I've ever seen. Uh, Lipton even yells after Jamie's car when it pulls away. I don't have a full tank of gas. It's like worst cop ever. (laughs) Uh, Well, Jamie makes it to the lake and re-steals that boat to make it out to the theater. Lipton arrives close behind with shotgun in tow. Uh, but should be all out of boats to steal, but lo and behold, he manages to find a second one. How convenient. I always drop boats off for people to use whenever they want to. I mean, that boat was never here before, but now when we need it, there it is. Surprise boat. Meanwhile, in the theater, Jamie is trying to find Henry and hears his voice calling him up to the catwalk, which eventually leads Jamie back up to Mary's place. He continues to call out for Henry, but it's only Lipton that eventually catches up to him, and he insists that Henry isn't there. But then the two of them hear Henry's voice say, yes, he is, which freaks them both out. Rightfully so. I mean, (laughs) it would be bothersome, uh, and puts them both on alert. But the voice sounds like it's coming from the wall, which they go over to investigate, only to discover the wall is an illusion, and it really is a passage to another room. This place just keeps getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) That's why she lived there. It's like the Mary Poppins purse of a house. It just keeps going. Exactly. (laughs) Well, this room appears to be Mary's workshop, and there's all kinds of creepy old dolls and doll parts laying around, until Lipton tosses one of the dolls, knocking a huge red sheet down, revealing a hundred glass cases all holding Mary's precious dolls that had been buried with her. 
All but Billy, that is. His case is empty. So someone has been very busy digging all these up. But who? Who could it be now? And why? Well, the guys then notice something in the middle of the room covered in a red sheet. Jamie uncovers it and discovers the corpse of Michael Ashen, the missing little boy. And he has been transformed to look like a dummy. His eyes have been replaced with doll's eyes, the jaw has been hinged, and wires have been attached to his arms and legs for movement. He's even been dressed in a tiny tuxedo complete with red bow tie. Isn't it cute? (laughs) Well, as the two guys continue to look around... We knew it was coming. All the ambient sound in the room stops. We start to get several close-ups of some of the dolls, and we can see, one by one, their eyes and heads start to move. Mary is coming, and the boys are in danger. I don't like it. (laughs) I'm very uncomfortable right now. Hate it. I really fucking hate it. Well, all this wooden head turning draws the guy's attention to another doll. And if you're not doing well with the creepy doll thing, it's about to get a whole lot worse because we now see a doll dressed like a fucking clown. What? (laughs) Just rocking back and forth in a tiny rocking chair. I was not told he was invited. (laughs) Well, here he is, center stage. The boys make their way over to investigate, and as they do, if you look closely in the lower part of the screen in the wide shot as they cross the room, you can see the other famous Billy doll, and that's the Billy doll used by Jigsaw in the Saw series. I did not see him the first time I watched the movie. This was one of those that, like, I heard about after the fact and and didn't believe it. You know, I was like, well, that can't be true. I didn't see it. Yeah. And then I went back and watched it. And I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah, he's he's there right in front, front and center. We actually see him in a couple of shots. He can be seen, but he's, he's down. He'll be kind of toward the force, foreground of the shot, mm-hmm. toward the bottom. He's sitting on the ground. He's not actually in one of the cases. He's he's loose out on the ground. He's just running around wild and loose. And just being crazy, looking for his trashicle. <laughs> Well, of course, as mentioned, James Wan and Lee Wannell, who wrote this movie, also wrote the original Saw together. So it's fitting that that little fucker would show up somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Between that Billy, this movie, and Annabelle, I think it's safe to say that James Wan uh, has probably had some serious childhood trauma surrounding dolls. Yeah. Who hurt you, James? (laughs) Do you need a hug? (laughs) I just imagine he had a sister that wouldn't let him play with with her dolls or something yeah or or did something like would scare the shit out of them with it or something (laughs) well back to that rocking clown doll the guys keep approaching and jamie calls out for mary shaw the clown doll stops rocking jamie says her name again and the doll replies clever i don't know what he did that was so clever You're a modern-day genius. You figured out my name that's been said 80,000 times. (laughs) Uh, Well, Jamie asks Mary what she wants, and she replies that she wants to silence those who silenced her. So Jamie asks, why Lisa? To which Mary the Clown Doll says, come closer and I'll tell you. Uh, No thanks. Yeah, I'm good. I'll keep my distance. Yep. I heard you. Yep. I don't understand why you could text me. (laughs) Not coming over there. Ain't falling for your shit, Mary. (laughs) Well, of course, Jamie does fall for her shit and uh, gets closer. But even dumbass Shaving Lipton tells Jamie, don't do it, man. But Jamie, of course, 
has to walk right up to the clown's face. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. This no, is fine. No, this is perfectly okay. He turns his head to hear her better as Mary whispers, You weren't the last Ashen. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Oh my goodness. You mean, oh wait, she's still talking. The last Ashen was inside her. Yeah, we got that when you said he wasn't the last Ashen. I'm not sure why you needed to clarify that. Why did she keep talking? <laughs> We got it. Also, didn't we already know that Lisa was pregnant from her little pillow stunt at the start of this film? So you just did a reveal on information we've had since the first five minutes of this film. He didn't, though, so we got to be ahead of the game. I mean, I get it. It's a reveal to Jamie. I suppose he didn't know. But it's played like it's some big twist for the audience. Yeah. And I didn't get why. I was just like, "Uh, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Yeah, we were there. (laughs) Uh, But that's okay, because Mary just sticks her creepy long tongue out of the clown doll's mouth and licks Jamie's face and laughs maniacally. It's the worst thing Uh, that could happen. That I hated. It was icky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we see Mary herself pick the clown doll up as the camera pulls back to reveal Mary feeding her tongue through the doll's head the worst and out the mouth it's disgusting we all cried i loved it actually (laughs) well lipton tells jamie not to scream and shoots at mary this disconnects mary's spirit from the clown doll but she then just reappears in another doll so lipton shoots that doll causing mary to jump to yet another doll They realize they're going to have to destroy all the dolls, so Mary no longer has a vessel to manipulate, and she can't come back. So Lipton shoots what he can, and Jamie uses a lantern he's been carrying to set the room and the other dolls on fire. The two start to make their way out of the now-burning theater and come to that damn rickety catwalk. The catwalk gives way, sending Lipton hurling toward the floor, screaming, As he goes down, his screams causes Mary to literally swoop in and snatch Lipton's tongue, dropping his body to the stage below as that fucking electric razor hits the floor ahead of him, buzzing. (laughs) It was a stupid quirk. Good riddance. Well, meanwhile, Jamie, who was also on the catwalk, doesn't fall or scream and pulls himself back up. Mary's spirit is waiting for him up top and gets all up in his face. But before he can scream, he covers his mouth, which of course makes him lose his grip on the catwalk, sending him falling through the stage into the murky water of Lost Lake below, where he swims past several more human-sized ventriloquist dolls on his way to shore. As Jamie pulls himself out of the water, we see the remaining ruins of the theater continue to burn. As Jamie makes his way back to his car, he remembers that all the dolls were in the theater except for one. Billy was missing, meaning there's still a doll out there that Mary can inhabit. So Jamie makes his way back to Henry's funeral home, the last place we left Billy. When he gets inside, he can hear what sounds like Marion downstairs. Jamie follows the sound and finds Marion sitting in the doorway to the crawl space, holding Henry's dead body. Poor Marion. I feel so bad for her. I know. She just, I just want to hug her. She's been through a lot. Someone, make her up a really nice kitchen cabinet. She just deserves it. She deserves it for sure. 
Anyway, Jamie asks Marion where the dummy is. Marion claims Mr. Ashen, Jamie's father, came and took it. Jamie tells her that's impossible because his father is confined to a wheelchair. So it couldn't have been him. What? But she insists that it was. This sends Jamie back to his father's house, and here we get a few more great shots from Juan, setting up our final scene where he does a phenomenal job of using shadow and light again to reveal Jamie making his way upstairs where we can only see him when lightning flashes outside. So we can't actually see Jamie progressing upstairs in real time, but we can see in those brief flashes of light that he's moving closer to his destination. I I really like this effect. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a metaphor for storytelling. You know, you may not always see your character's progress within the story, but you can tell how within each moment, or in this case, each flash, the character is progressing toward the climax of the story. Mm-hmm. So whether that was the intended message here or not, I enjoyed the visualization. I, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, especially I think uh, for this being our final scene, we're getting, it's I think that kind of last push of like, like you said, the play with the lights and everything. And I really think it just kind of helps to heighten up this creepy ambiance and, and trying to um, kind of keep the viewer on edge as well. Not getting that linear shot of seeing it kind of keeps you like is something else going to flash up on the screen is something going to flash up behind it you know there's a lot of play on that and I think that's really nice especially because we are about to kind of do our grand reveal here at the end yeah with your audience already on edge yeah you're absolutely right that just builds that suspense Mm -hmm. well Jamie finally arrives upstairs and immediately all the ambient sound falls away It's our final showdown. Jamie walks into his father's room, which is only lit by the firelight coming from a fire in the fireplace. And the lack of sound here is really, really effective. All you can hear is Jamie's footsteps and the creak of wood as he moves through the room. There's not even a musical score, and it really heightens the moment. Jamie starts to hear the disembodied voices of people Mary has killed being thrown around the room as he makes his way over to a covered bassinet where he finds Billy the doll. He picks Billy up in a classic misdirect as Mary Shaw busts through the window behind him, screaming, long-ass tentacle tongue wagging as the music comes in hard and loud, but somehow Jamie manages not to scream and throws Billy onto the fire in the fireplace, sending Mary flying back through the window from whence she came. The ambient sound now returned to the room. As Jamie catches his breath, we see lightning flash, and Jamie catches a glimpse of his father in his wheelchair across the room. Jamie approaches him and turns a light on, but when he touches his father, his body falls forward in its chair, revealing his father's back. And it is quite the sight to behold. (laughs) From the top of the back of Edward's head to the bottom of his lower back has all been cut open and parts have been replaced inside that essentially have turned him into a life-size ventriloquist doll. He was a puppet the whole time. The whole time he was a puppet. He was never alive. Well, Jamie has a quick flashback of all the times he's interacted with his father since he's been back, and it's never been without Ella. Literally, 
by his side. She has been the one controlling Edward, working him like a puppet and throwing her voice. Edward has been dead this entire time. We even see that when he ate food, it just emptied into a bowl in his back. Gross! (laughs) But wait, how can this be? Ella is a person, right? Wrong. We see more shots of that book from the beginning, the one that shows us how to build the perfect doll. We thought all along that Billy was the perfect doll, but more of the book is revealed and we see a picture of this perfect doll and it turns out to be a picture of Ella. Ella is doll number 101. So if you didn't pick up on it before, they said she was supposed to be buried with all 101 of her dolls. But when Lipton went and dug them all up, he said all 100 were missing, meaning doll 101, Ella, was never buried and has been doing Mary's bidding ever since. Jamie, realizing he's been duped, turns and looks at Ella. She tells Jamie, now who's the dummy, as her face morphs into Mary's. Jamie finally screams, and she lunges for him. And in our final shot, in the return of the camera transition we saw at the beginning of the film, the camera pulls out of Jamie's eye, and we can see that he, too, has now been turned into a puppet and placed into a case alongside his father, his wife, Henry Walker, Detective Lipton, and finally, Ella. And this is revealed to be just a photograph on the last page of Mary's book, which we see her hand slam shut as the screen cuts to black and the credits roll. So creepy. Creepy. See, I think that's where this movie benefited from, from when it came out for like the people that enjoy it, like myself and other people my age, because we watched it at a younger age. And I can definitely admit to the fact that I watched that and completely missed every single trick and tip and hint throughout the movie that was letting you know because it's so funny and watching it as an adult it's all blatantly obvious and I felt like how did I miss all this you know watching it through the first time but it came out at a time of where at my age I just wasn't watching movies as critically as you know of course um in depth and so yeah I compl- I remember being like what the fuck like I was just like uh, running around <laughs> like I couldn't believe I had completely been you know led blind that whole time throughout the whole movie but it's still I think where I still like it as an adult now is the fact that I, I think it is again creepy to the the fact that we're dealing with haunted dolls and everything uh, but I do have to like give some credit to the fact that like they didn't do as much CGI as a lot of movies did during this time. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that helps to the fact that it just, it aged fine. You know, like I, I watched sure. it and I didn't feel myself being like, damn, you know, chef's kiss. I feel like this is still just as good. Because it's just not. It isn't. But I still felt like I had a good time and I still felt like anybody that hasn't seen it that has that kind of like creeping uh, vibe when it comes to dolls would still get a kick out of this movie. Absolutely. Uh, And, and, you know, what I was going to say was that, you know, yes, you watched it as a kid, as when, like you said, you don't watch things as as critically. You just kind of watch it for the joy Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, just 
the fun of it. Yeah. You can appreciate the fun of it. Whereas we get older, we get more cynical, and yeah. we specifically <laughs> look for all this stupid shit. And yeah, it's stupid, but I guarantee you, it did not spoil the enjoyment that you carried over from mm-hmm. seeing this as a child. It's still, because it holds that nostalgia for you, yeah. it's still going to be an amazing movie every time you watch it, no matter how big the damn plot holes are yeah. or how crappy some of the characters are. It's still enjoyable for that that connection to childhood. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, I think is the point that we try and make with horror all the time is that we don't tout ourselves as some review show trying to tell you whether or not a movie is good because it's subjective. Yeah. That is always subjective. It's 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 like it's why I have a problem with quote unquote critics. Yes, opinions are important and I appreciate the films that you like. So if you tell me whether or not you like a film, that can help inform my decision of whether or not I want to watch it. But when it comes down to it, it's all going to come down to basically your personal opinion. Yeah. And if you watch something as a kid and you absolutely loved it, chances are you're still going to absolutely love it today. Mm -hmm. So I happened to see this for the first time when we just watched it this past week. And I can see all that stuff through cynical eyes because I'm an old ass fucking woman who (laughs) (laughs) who bitches about everything. But I can still appreciate the fact that you love this movie from a kid and so many other people do, too. And that is what I think is fun. Yeah, I can see how the studio really screwed this up. I would be really fascinated to get my hands on an original script Uh to see what it was really like before the studio made these changes. Mm -hmm. But I can still see the joy on it. I still see the brilliance of James Wan and how he can set up a, a scene and really scare the shit out of you, even if what the content of that is isn't that scary to me yeah he still managed to make it suspenseful mm-hmm. i you know dolls it just seems like a silly thing to me but if you can still like freak me out and make a scene suspenseful even when i know there's something silly involved that's talent yeah that's well done and so yeah it's not the best movie in the world but i still had a hell of a good time Mm -hmm. and i think that's how you have to do a lot of things these movies that have such a specific fear you know it's different from like a uh say like a home invasion movie or just your average like you know haunted house movie or something like that when you get into more specific fears like dolls like um like jaws you know with underwater fears Mm -hmm. and stuff like that we talked about this before that's not everybody's niche that's not everybody's fear so not everybody's gonna go into it and walk out and be like holy shit i'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight but if a movie can still make it fun for those that aren't that don't have that fear they can still go in and watch the movie and be like okay i had a good time i didn't hate it you know i had a good time while i watched it i feel like that's that's a, a good indicator of a decent movie that knows how to handle um the horror genre to be able to make all the movie have creepy elements and not just the one specific trope they're trying to drive home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all comes down to, do you know how to scare your audience? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter what the hell you're trying to scare them with. Yeah. And James Wan, I don't know. He just has this way of doing it. That's not always, I don't always understand it in the moment, but it's just, there's a way that it gets underneath my skin every time. And I love it. Yeah. He's good at what he does. <laughs> All right, well, I suppose that means we got to get to some prompts. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. All right, so what did you have for your popcorn spiller? 
So my popcorn spiller for me was the same um, this time as it probably would have been in the theaters, and that's Lisa's death, just because while, yes, it's very obvious, again, like I said, as an adult watching this, I find it very obvious that she's going to be our, our first lady to go, but it's still, I think, the first time I watched it, and this time, was was surprised by how fucking violent they toss her around the room mm-hmm. and just the whole uh, i guess um performance of this of this death scene i thought was really good and a really good way to kind of like kick off the whole movie both the first time i watched it and this time it was an easy choice for that one that death is just so in your face and enough to kind of like shock you right off the bat um especially because going into this movie you don't really know up until this point that the whole shtick is like tongues being t- torn out and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it's just whoa okay that's how we're gonna take out this character it's a little bit alarming the first time so that was it for me what about for you uh yeah f- for me actually the the problem i had with lisa's death is the fact that right there in the synopsis they tell you already that she's gonna die mm-hmm. that's how immediately i know okay well we're just setting all this all this up yeah. i know this character's gonna die you already told me yeah you're so not gonna get no, attached or exactly yeah. <laughs> that was that was a, a problem i had from the beginning so I, there wasn't a lot of shock although i really did like the way he blocked that out it, it, he always does fantastic in these really high intense moments mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I love the tension in the hotel room scene. The, yeah. the first night that Jamie is in the hotel and, you know, that sound dies down. The first night when we see Mary, mm-hmm. I just thought that whole scene was so, so well done. Yeah. Yes. Just, oh, the suspense of it and that lack of sound. And yeah, re- really, really good. So who ended up being your scene stealer for this movie? Honestly, it, it ended up being Marion. I just, yes, I just wanted so much just to be like, oh, sweetie, I just, you shouldn't be here with all of this madness. Please come with me. I'll take you somewhere. We'll go have some pie. We'll even get some birdseed for your little raven. It's going to be so nice. It'll be so nice. What about you? Who's your scene stealer? (laughs) So for me, I ended up, and I think this, I don't know if it's a cop-out answer or not, but to me, I know that, again, the first time I watched this, and I think because it's been so many years since I've watched it, I found myself kind of comparing this viewing to my first view that I remembered, that I'm always constantly, especially once we get introduced to Billy, although, you know, at the beginning, we don't know that he's evil per se, or I guess know the evil behind him. I'm always constantly on the edge looking for him in the scenes and it doesn't help the fact that like we said he doesn't get put in a suitcase the whole goddamn time (laughs) so like and I I don't know if a doll can be a scene stealer but it was because every time I watch this movie I'm constantly like aware of the fact that there's going to be a creepy doll in this room and he doesn't tend to sit still like he doesn't tend to be a normal doll that just hangs out like this one's extra creepy and Mm -hmm. likes to turn its eyes around so in this movie every watch I'm always kind of like seeing is there something I didn't miss does he look at a time that we you know that maybe the camera's not looking at him the mm-hmm. whole time or something like that uh so yeah I don't know Billy is my scene stealer just because uh it's a creepy doll movie and he's our creepy doll and that seems pretty self-explanatory um I would also really like to point out here how you said that you know creepy dolls it, it doesn't really scare you that much but yet every time you talk about the creepy dolls it's obvious <laughs> that it really really bothers you <laughs> It's so funny because... I think it gets to you more than you think. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's so funny because in movies it does, but honestly, I can be around them. Like, it doesn't creep me out to have... I in, When I was a kid and everything, I had dolls in my room that sure. I remember giving me the creeps. 
but it, I couldn't, like, I wouldn't sit there at night and stare at it and not be able to fall asleep. Like, I'm fine with it. I can get over it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it's played up in a movie, I'm not going to lie, shit's fucking creepy and I don't want it near me. So if I go get a ventriloquist doll and bring it in the house, you're going to be fine with that. As long as it stays right here in, like, the pond no, room. No, 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 It will sit on our bed just like well, that's Jamie and Lisa's. stupid because I have to sleep there. <laughs> well, didn't seem to bother them. Well, they weren't sleeping. Well, I mean, what were they going to do that night if she hadn't had her tongue ripped out violently? Well, I don't know. Died. That's not how the movie went. <laughs> we didn't get that sequel. <laughs> but uh, to answer your question, no. If it's on the bed. I'm not going to sleep with it. <laughs> I'm going to push it off and go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a... Um, a di- and I think it also depends on the movie. Because thinking to the Saw movies, like that Billy in that movie, I don't really have a whole issue with or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I have an issue with him. I have an <laughs> He's issue fine. with Jigsaw. Oh, oh yeah. Billy's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I just, it's it's certain dolls in certain movies. Like, Chucky, I'm cool. He's fine. Whatever. But yeah, this guy, Billy, and it's probably not even Billy. It's in my mind subconsciously knows there's something bigger here. And Billy's not telling me all the answers, and I don't trust somebody that's not willing to let me know up front what Everyone our relationship knows is. Billy's a bullshitter. <laughs> Can't trust that fucker. No matter whose bed he's sitting on. <laughs> all right. Well, what do you have for your gorgasm for this one? Uh, well, for this one, mine is uh, Lipton's uh, tongue ripout scene, just because it's so swift. I literally, the second time I watched it, when I was watching it to do my prompts, rewound it like four times just because yeah. I was trying to see if you could actually like see it happen. Like the whole, I mean, you do, but I was trying to do like a frame by frame thing, I guess. I was like, it is so fast. Like it his tongue that. just gets right out of his body and I'm just uh, in awe. Yeah, I had to rewind it only because I couldn't figure out what happened. Gotcha. It's like all of a sudden he's sticking through the curtains and like is being drug up and down. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened here? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there was like a black swoosh. <laughs> Things are getting out of hand. But I think it's just, the, I mean, the deaths in this movie are pretty common throughout, but I think this one, just I, like I said, the fact that it happens so quickly and we're really we're thinking at this point, like, these are our two kind of final dudes. They've mm-hmm. made it. They're on their, their way out. And, and for Mary Shaw to just sneak in there and do a little tongue slip is spooky. So I like it. <laughs> it is a little spooky. It's a little spooky, and I'm uncomfortable you with it. put that in a scary movie. That was spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm downright startled over here. <laughs> what ended up being your orgasm for this movie? Uh, when we see Mary's tongue go through the clown's mm. head. Yes. I hated that it's so, so gross. much. It's so long mm-hmm. and just icky. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. It's so funny because as we were... W- um, going to rent this movie and watch it, uh, we were trying to decide, you know, if we wanted to do the theatrical version or the unrated version. And you had told me, because I didn't know the difference, that there was like a little bit extended scene. And all you said was like, I don't know, there's like something with a tongue. And I was like, <gasps> watching it. Like, I just immediately <laughs> knew what you were talking about. I didn't know what scene, but I just knew it had something to do with Mary Shaw. And I wanted some more of that. So, yeah, right, it right. was it was definitely... A lot of tongue action in this movie. It's just, it's not settling in any part of it at all. No, it's pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> if you're wondering what the difference is, we did watch the unrated version. Uh, the difference is there are six more minutes of uh, footage, and most of it is just additional 
tongue. Tongue <laughs> is what I could read. There's just like extended scenes of her tongue, which, which they had to cut out, I guess, to get it down to an R rating. Yeah. And and that's it. So you're really not seeing it. There certainly isn't like any major deleted scenes or no. anything. Like in the freaking Midsummer, where we miss a whole death. <laughs> Whatever. So next up, that leaves us with memorable mortality. So who was that for you in this movie? Uh, I had to go with Henry's death. That whole suspenseful thing of him having to crawl in there yeah. when we already know damn well that ain't fucking Marion in there. And we just know he is crawling into his death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, that actually ended up being mine as well, just for that the whole suspense of it all. <laughs> this whole movie, we've been kind of like, okay, this whole crawl space area is, t- is, is not great. We can all agree it's creepy. And then, yeah, when we have this whole kind of peak scene of him dying and, and crawling into that area it's, it's not fun it's so creepy especially when we hear her voice call him and we're like no 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 <laughs> that's, that's a lie those are all lies don't fall for that henry <laughs> come on henry stick to the game that's not her so yeah it's it's an easily very spooky creepy scene i hate it but also love it so <laughs> yeah you do have a very good love hate relationship with this one yeah no regrets and that's fine Well, I guess that just leaves the big question. Was there ever a question for you? Uh, Yeah, actually there was. Only because I knew how much I enjoyed it when it first came out. Uh, But going through this whole movie journey as we are with Dead Zone and stuff, it's it's funny I'm finding... uh, you know, the whole CGI thing, when you're in the moment of those early 2000s, you don't realize it's happening. So it's after the fact now that I'm like, oh, so many of these movies that I know that I loved then fall into that time period. And so there is always that hesitancy that this could just be a CGI fucking mess (laughs) and not be good. And I couldn't quite remember a lot of the details. So yeah, I thought that it was going to be creepy, but I was, I was a little bit concerned to be at the end, I would be like, you know what? we can leave it it's just not as great as i thought it was going to be but i still think it's a fun watch i still think it's one of those that if i haven't you know if if i'm around people that haven't seen it and you know i want to watch a movie and something that i know is genuinely kind of spooky i would pull this one out and be like okay just get over the fact that it's going to be cheesy as hell and just know it's going to be creepy so i guess the question is answered it's going in the vault for me yeah i guess we should actually say what the question is vault or no vault The question is, vault or no vault? Uh, yeah, you know, I I can't, I can find lots of fault with it. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I just, I trashed the entire thing. But like I said, that, that didn't take away from my overall enjoyment, simply because I'm with someone who enjoyed it so much as a kid, mm-hmm. that it was just gleeful fun for me to listen to you experience it again with your hate it and no thank yous. <laughs> yeah. That alone was such a good time. And yeah. It's horribly done. Yeah. Huge plot holes. The characters are very, pardon the pun, wooden and uh, don't have a lot of personality. But I don't care. I, I still had fun. I had the absolute best time of making fun of Wahlberg and his fucking shaving. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous yeah. and, and over the top and... I, I love it. It's it's exactly what I want in a drive-in movie. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. When you think about it in that sense, that's exactly what this would fall into. Just that Friday night, go with your friends, watch this stupid-ass, creepy-ass movie, 
and then go home and try to continue to creep each other out. Yeah. That's exactly what happened every time I'd go with my friends. <laughs> I mean, you're still going to get some good scares out of it. Yeah. There were still some genuinely scary, creepy moments in it. Yeah. And, and I think it's just a good time. I agree. It is what it is. It's dead silence. It wasn't all silent. In fact, there was a lot of na- loud noises that were scary sometimes. Just shut those fucking kids up. <laughs> but I still think it was good. So I hope that the listeners that were excited about us watching it are equally still as excited. And if you guys rewatched it like I did, do you guys think that it held up? Do you guys think that it, it's uh, now a mess? Because <laughs> I can understand that too. But if you still liked it, I'd definitely let us know because I was so excited to see as many people stoked about this movie as there was. I just wasn't expecting it. Oh, man, we need to start a good conversation about this in the discussion room. Yeah, for sure. You know, did everybody else have kind of that same experience where they remember being super scared of this as a kid and then maybe watching it now and going, oh, wow, this is... This is not what I remember, oh, wow. but, you know, it's still a thing. It, you know, what what is your experience now watching it as opposed to when you were a kid? Or, do, or are you watching it for the first time now? If you uh, are, hmm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Better things have come out since then, but I'm so glad you're taking a chance on it. <laughs> well, if anything, we've learned, sip your soup silently, kids, or... <laughs> You'll lose a tongue. <laughs> I thought that series was a lot of fun. I think it's something that we'll definitely have to do. Obviously, we have birthdays every year. That's how those work. <laughs> they keep coming, no matter how hard I try and stop them. <laughs> so I think we should definitely do this every year. Because it gives us an opportunity to have these movies like this that either we constantly quote or we're constantly referencing that neither of us know what the hell we're talking about. And it doesn't have to fit into a theme. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's been really fun to kind of slip these movies in that otherwise we didn't know how else we would get them in soon into our our series theme so i thought this was really fun i i did too i i had a great time looking at some of these you know loved films from our childhoods and (laughs) you know whether or not they age well or not i mean shit look at jaws bruce looked like shit (laughs) but it ain't gonna stop me from making that my fucking favorite scary movie ever it's just not it's brilliant it's still scary and like i said if you can scare me even with stupid shit in your movie you're a fucking genius She'll take it. I'll take it. It's taken. It's taken. (laughs) Hey, so I got one more thing for this movie, and it's kind of an assignment for people. So there is another little fun fact about this movie. Uh, You remember our current creepy credit reigning champion, Julian Richings? He starred as the governor in Ari Aster's The Witch, And if you listen to that episode, you know that if you look up his IMDb profile, his filmography lists 109 horror titles alone, 26 of which are actual feature films. I'm not going to list all 26 again. If you must hear them, you can go back and check out episode 24. Otherwise, just know that no one has even come close to his impressive, creepy credit count of 26 feature horror films, Dead Silence being one of them. So, the assignment is, he is listed as being in this movie, and supposedly he plays a character named Boss, just B-O-S, but for the life of me, cannot find him. Yeah, I didn't even know he was in it, so I was not looking, (laughs) but I... Now my interest is peaked, and I need to know where he is at in this movie. Yeah, I do too because he's not in the actual credits of the film. He is he's listed as uncredited on IMDb, and what that means is you made an appearance, 
but there there was nothing contractually that meant that you had to be mentioned in the credits. It happens a lot with extras. Obviously, they cannot possibly list everybody who appears on film. So he's he's not actually in the credits, but on IMDb, he's listed as being part of this film. And I even tried to look up on Google, you know, where is Julian Richings in Dead Silence? And all I got was you know, pictures of Billy, <laughs> nothing that was helpful. So I, somebody's got to know where he is. I, I tried to look in all the crowd scenes. I can't find the dude. I, I know he's got to be in there somewhere. It's like, where's Waldo? But we're stonked. <gasps> yes. Where's Julian? Somebody find him and let us know where the dude is. Yeah, I'm really interested now because now I feel like there's this elusive character in this movie that I've seen multiple times that I don't even know is there. And that's not okay with me. Not I need cool. to know where everybody is at all times. At all times. Someone could sneak up and cut you. I don't know about them sneaky sneaks. Which, you know, Julian's known for. Just sneaking up and cutting people. Start a horrible rumor about him. Well, happy birthday, my dear. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. I'm very excited. And I thank you also for showing me Big Trouble in Little China last week. It was a really fun watch. And I'm so excited that we had these two weeks to show each other such fun movies. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 28 is... In the Can. In the Can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. Let's know money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to all of our socials and our Facebook group, the Dead Zone Drive-In Discussion Room. And just like Whitney said, a quick reminder that we won't be here next week as we'll be celebrating our birthdays and doing final prep for the spookiest month of the year. So we'll meet you back here the first week of October to kick everything off with an 80s slasher classic, Sleepaway Camp. If you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. Their lead singer Fred taught us his family's recipe for making goulash. And while I never thought the size of the elbow noodle mattered, turns out it really makes a difference. The smaller the better. I don't know what it is. Give me some tiny elbows. Size does matter. And remember, if you're looking for The Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. He tells Marion to leave. Oh, nope. (laughs) He tells Marion to leave Jamie alone. Uh, and that, <laughs> Just leave. Get out of here. <laughs> get scam. the fuck out of here, you goddamn psycho bird woman. He get, don't... On. <laughs> get out of here, you little scamp. Get out. Stop get back your in your kitchen poems. counter. <laughs> told you you can get out. The cupboard's all set up for you. Go home. I'll be there in a minute. I need you to sit with the stew pot and think about what you've done. Stew. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage 
and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.